It was summer 2017. A 26-year-old witty, recent college grad is working as a restaurant manager. And she noticed that she's losing weight without trying. It must be stress, she thinks. She then develops severe abdominal pain and goes to the emergency room thinking that she has a GI bug. Suddenly, she's in emergency surgery for stage 4 colon cancer. No family history, never smoked, did everything right in life. This is how cancer hits, and her world turns upside down. For the past three years, Christine has endured three major surgeries, three years of toxic chemo, and grueling radiation. She fought and fought and fought, and the cancer kept fighting back. Today, we hear the story from the voice of our courageous Christine. She's one of my dearest patients. Recently, we had to make the hardest decision possible, to stop all therapy. The side effects of the chemo were outweighing the benefits, and they were just making things worse. When do we say that it's time to stop therapy and switch to what's known as best supportive care? How do we know when it's time? Let's talk about it. Christine is here with me today via Zoom from her home in Connecticut. Hello, Christine, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I want to start off by saying, how are you? Doing okay, you know, some days are better than others. Always nice to get a sunny day. Yeah. Are you afraid? Not really afraid of dying. I'm afraid of what happens between now and then. You know, they don't make it easy to die. You have to like... You're in the hospital and they're telling you that, that it's time to switch to hospice. And then they're telling you, why don't you do some research online and tell us what you yeah. think? And you're sitting in a hospital bed in pain going, what are you talking about? Like, there's too many choices. I don't understand the choices. And I think that was the very scary part because it really feels like, oh my God, I'm really out here floating. Like, what am I supposed? Supposed to do. That's right. And and you're not um, alone in that. The complexities, you know, get so challenging sometimes to make sure that we control your symptoms and we promise you we're gonna do that, but then we wanna do certain things on hospice that we can't do. So then people say, Oh no, you gotta go to palliative care. But then palliative care is one thing in one state and one thing in another. It's so confusing. And I think that was that's been the scariest part so far. Not the, you know, I know I'm gonna die. It's what happens between where I am now, which is extreme amounts of discomfort and pain all the time to to get to that point of, well, maybe I will get another few good weeks where I don't feel that way. Yeah. So I think that's the scariest part, personally. And you've had hospice come to the home. People get very scared about that. They think that like hospice is like the Grim Reaper, like here we are. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what it was like when they came? It's really not that scary. It's just kind of like meeting with any other doctor or nurse. You're just doing it at your house. Yeah. Um, they do not come dressed like the Grim Reaper. Everybody's really nice and they, you can tell that their entire job identity revolves around trying to help you feel better and trying to help you manage those symptoms and being that supportive care that maybe your family needs as much as you need because, you know, you, Nobody goes through this alone, or at least I'm lucky enough not to go through it alone. Thanks. So I think that's a, a really important point to, to emphasize that we always want to make sure that the patient's at the forefront, but they're not the only ones that are affected. I, I want to take a step back in time. 
to just understand a little bit of you and who you are. Okay. Uh, four months Uh-oh. ago, you gave one of the most powerful speeches at the Cycle for Survival event. There were hundreds of people that were roaring and cheering you on. <laughs> No one thought I would see 27, but here I am at 28, working, living, and rolling. Even though I'm not yet cancer-free, although that would be pretty cool, I believe I'm a lucky patient because of everyone riding in my corner. What a cool venue, what a cool event, what a cool way to get the, the word out that cancer doesn't just affect you know, 50 plus, especially colon cancer. It's to have so many people be able to relate to you and relate to what you're saying to basically a room full of strangers is something I've never experienced before. It was just overwhelming. The overwhelming support. But you had Team Christine everywhere you looked. You're I was very lucky. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the role that the caregivers provide and particularly your family since... They really never left your side outside the COVID restrictions. People don't don't realize that the simple act of having somebody sitting there with you while you're getting it sometimes is all it takes to make it a little less terrible, a little more endurable, if you know what I mean. So I used to come with a posse. I'm so lucky. I have a tiny family. Only have six cousins. I have two aunts and an uncle. And they're just so very supportive of of everything and the best way they know how to be supportive is to show up so there they are (laughs) even after the COVID restrictions I'm so lucky I have so many nurses in Westchester that by then I had formed such a bond with Um, one in particular who Dr. Reedy knows extremely well because she stopped you know emailing and just went for the texting after a while tell us about Stinzy Mary Stinzy my nurse in Westchester. I call her mine, even though technically she's everybody's nurse. And um, I have to tell you, the first time I met her, she scared me half to death because she's a little intimidating in a good way. She's a little intimidating, but she just, you know, knocked my socks off and just really added to that level of, of personal care that I feel like I got from so, so many of the nurses in Westchester. I never really felt alone, even when I wasn't allowed to have visitors. Do you worry about all those caregivers that were part of Team Christine moving forward? What do you mean? I just, you know, th- this is this is about you and, and what what happens next. But very often there's feelings of worry or guilt or, or other things as it relates to your parents, Caroline, your sister, that is. I worry about what's going to happen to them when I'm gone. I don't want them to, you know, not be able to move forward or or be, you know, stuck in some kind of weird place because of what happened to me. But I also, I also feel like those that have gone through every step of the way understand that there isn't anything left to do and that there isn't any fight left. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to for everyone to understand how much a part of your care they were. Everybody's driving in an hour and a half, sometimes longer, to, to get to the hospital. And I think those are 
the painful parts of, of cancer that we don't often talk about, you know? No, and I think that people who, and I've experienced this with my own friends, people who don't see it up close enough, just kind of think, oh, well, you've been sick. Oh, you just haven't felt that well. That's not really what I'm saying to you. Like, I know that you think I'm strong and I can fight through anything. I wish to God that were true, but it, it doesn't really work like that. You know, you, you give it as much as you can, obviously, and you, you want to keep fighting, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not really under your control. Did you think it was a mutual decision when we did decide to stop chemo? And is there any advice that you'd give other patients? I think that the, the key to me is being open and honest in the beginning. Don't wait till it's too late and too uncomfortable to have those conversations because that's when it boils up to a point where you as a patient might not be able to face it. And then I think it does become an oncologist decision. And that's not really what you want. It's your body. You want to make the decision yourself. And I really feel like we were open enough in the beginning that by the time it got to this point, it was something we were sort of both saying. I don't want to go for any more treatment. And she's telling me that that's okay, which she's never told me before. So I really feel like we are at that same page and, and we got there together. But I think that's because we were open and honest with our communication about it from the beginning. Dr. Reedy, if I can ask you a question and put you in the hot seat for a minute. What's it like for you when you have to have those conversations with patients and you're, you're talking with your patients about moving on to palliative or hospice care and, and knowing that there, there's not going to be a comeback from there? Well, I mean, it, it's certainly the hardest part of the job. You know, every one of us in oncology, nurses, social workers, surgeons, radiation oncologists, we're all in it for the patients and their families with the ultimate goal of, of cure. Right. And when we can't get there, sometimes we feel guilty. Sometimes we feel like we didn't do enough. But it's also a tremendous privilege to be able to be on this hardest part of the journey, most especially for, for a family like yours. I mean, your parents and sister and you, you know, we become almost part of your family. And so although it's challenging and sad, it's also an enormous honor. Right. So we carry that very closely. And I think that this is the part that um, it will also be a reminder that we got to get back to the lab, get back to the trials and constantly fight for the Christine of tomorrow. Okay, here's a hard question. What could I have done differently? As an oncologist, I know we all have blind spots as cancer docs. And looking back now. I feel like the only times I've really wanted more from you as an oncologist is when I've like gone off to do other treatments. Like when I went off to radiation for five weeks and we basically didn't speak. I know it was like the height of COVID and things were like insane. But even just a text, like hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, like, I think that's one of the, the biggest things that for me, I would have appreciated. 
No, I mean, I, th- I think you're right on. I think that we often um, have what we call team care, where you may be getting a surgery, so your surgeon's the quarterback, or you may be getting radiation, so your radiation oncologist is the quarterback. And so we think, oh, somebody else is taking care of you right now. But I didn't have a huge expectation. I didn't need you to be calling me every day or texting me every day. It was like a once a week, like, hey, I'm still once here. Yeah. I know it's been rough. Right. Hang in there. Right. That would have been, right. you know, those little types of things would have been sufficient right. for me, at least. I totally hear that. And often like our nurse, maybe the nurse on the team may be doing it, but it, it, it may be different. So I, I, I get it. It is different. You know, I, I love your nursing team. Obviously, Angela's my, my gal. I love your, your team in general. And she was telling me she was talking to you and I believed her. Yeah. But it still would have been nice to get that little bit of a, Hey, I'm still here. I promise. Yeah, I get it. What's the hardest part of all of this? I feel like the hardest part is finding a way to not let it define you while also finding a way through whatever's left of your time. Like, yes, my last few years have been very defined by cancer, but I am not defined by cancer. I mean, to be honest, every day is different. Today I woke up in pain. Some days I don't. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I had a good night. Other days I wake up and go, oh, I had a bad night. I didn't sleep well. Everything hurts. And so I think it's, you know, for me right now, it's taking it day by day and, and just starting to work with the hospice team and what they can help offer me symptom-wise so that hopefully I have more good days than bad days. And it's coming to the realization that there will be fewer days than I expected. That's okay. What would you like the world to know about Christine Cohen? Oh, gosh. Just that I hope that people put in situations like mine can focus on finding their way through it with grace and poise and finding whatever bit of happiness pushes you through the end. For me, it was getting to go so many places and seeing so many things that I I didn't think I'd get to do. That's what I'd like the world to know, that you, you can find ways to make a cancer diagnosis something more than just the bombshell that ruined your life, so to speak. It can be something more than that. And I hope that you find that. Thank you. Thank for you. Your story and your journey, not only for for our team that adores you so much, but but for so many that are on similar journeys and sharing it is is such a courageous act. So we're very grateful. No, and, and thank you for for being you because I'm not sure I'd have made it quite as long without you. Christine died eight days after we did this interview. Her parents spoke to me on how important it was to share her end-of-life experience on this podcast. She hoped to help others that may be in similar shoes. Our MSK chaplain, Brian Kelly, who shared a very special bond with Christine, gave the eulogy at the graveyard service. It was a clear, blue, beautiful summer day. He spoke of meetings with Christine when he told her the Jesuit theologian Pierre Telhard de Chardin had once written, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. 
Christine loved that idea because she acknowledged her struggle had been the ultimate in human experiences. She experienced ongoing cycles of fear and doubt, hope and courage, faith and love. One day, while Chaplain Brian was visiting her, she sat up in her hospital bed with a wicked grin and told him quite firmly, I'm going to heaven, you know. All cancer patients do. He not only fully agreed, but was counting on her to watch over him once she arrived. He ended the service by saying Christine is no longer where she was before. She is now wherever we are. I can tell you I certainly feel that, and she is certainly in my heart. Thank you for listening to Cancer Straight Talk from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. For more information or to send us any questions you may have, please visit mskcc.org podcast. Help other people find this helpful resource by rating and reviewing this podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. These episodes are for you, but are not intended to be a medical substitute. Please remember to consult your doctor with any questions you have regarding medical conditions. I'm Dr. Diane Reedy-Lagunes, onward and upward.